Jen Burkholder is one of our supported missionaries. Jen, why don't you just stand up and wave at them just so they know who you are. Welcome. And uh, no one knows. Everyone loves it when I pull audibles. So I don't do this very often, but Jen, if you would close the service in prayer today, would you do that? Okay, I'll, yeah, so just after the last song, use this microphone, get it from Brittany, and you can close the service in prayer. Okay, very good. She thought she was going to have the Sunday off and just get to sit, and, but we're going to put her to work. So good, thank you. Thank you, Kent. Thank you. Yeah. Happy Father's Day. There's about a 99.9% .9 chance that everybody in this room had a father. So I feel pretty good that we can celebrate that, all of us, with a first-person present experience. And even if you didn't know your father, you have a heavenly father that knows you, even if you don't know him. And that's the miracle of our God, that he is the one that did this. He's the one that put you together, the DNA the weaving, the intentionality, the purposefulness of how he equipped, made you, gifted you, established the talents within your life, were all because of him. He had this idea to create man. I mean, he created mountains, an earth, seas, critters that are swimming in the sea, animals that roamed the world, and according to his word, all of these things praise God's name. Every one of them. Lift up a glorifying statement that the Lord is God. And then he came up with this other idea. I think I'll make man. And I'm going to make one very significant difference. I'm going to give man free will. They can choose not to acknowledge that I am the Heavenly Father. They can choose not to recognize me as creator. They can choose to just pursue their own life. Now, many of us would wonder why would God do that? I think if anybody has wrestled with faith, at some point in time, you sat there and looked at God and go, why did you give me free will? <laughs> it would be better if I just praised you on purpose all the time instead of pursuing my own desires. But one of my sons, I think, gave me the perfect picture of why God decided to give us free will. Because he wanted to experience something which is love by choice. We were in the old church downtown. My son Michael in the old church would come from the catacombs down below. And he was at that toddler level where, you know, we have a little Magnus now that's in our house right now. And Magnus is of that age, but he was probably a little older because this was at the age where you let them loose, right? You know, now we check in and check out. But back then, you reached a time when the clock would hit, and by the way, I know they'll be let loose, so, so we're conscious of that fact. The doors open, and they are let loose. And we'd be up in the sanctuary, the, the narthex up in the upper part, and, and Michael would come running up the stairs, 
and you look and it'd be full of people. And of course, at that age, all you see is a forest of legs, right? Because that's your eye height. You see nothing but legs. And I would see him come up the stairs and I'd see him across the room and he would start to look and jar and, and jump left and, and, and break right. And, and then all of the people would go, oh, look at the cute little kid. And they would try to get his attention. And he'd drop his shoulder and he'd do a spin move and he'd move right and he'd move left and he'd come through and I'd see him coming, see him coming and I'd drop down to my knee and he'd run into my arms. And I'd pick him up and he'd put his hand on his face and he'd want me to turn toward him and he'd want me to see the incredible piece of paper he just glued another piece of paper to. <laughs> And God showed me his love. He said, Kent, that's how it feels when you choose me. When you push away all the distractions, when you push through all the other really, really attractive things, even, even Miss Jean Parks with her purse and the little candy inside, <laughs> when you push past it all, and you get and run into your father's arms, when you choose him, I think God goes, thank you. The love of a father. On Father's Day, we're going to talk about a couple of things. We're going to talk about parenting. We're going to talk about the greatest gift that was ever given to man called grandparenting. If I knew grandparenting was going to be this amazing, I would have definitely done it first. And then we're going to talk about you that don't have children yet or at all, or don't have grandchildren yet or at all, that you still have an incredible responsibility to this next generation. And that's called discipleship. It's called mentorship. It's called the desire to invest into those that will live past our years, which I believe God's word points us to a responsibility that this is all of our jobs. It's all of our jobs to tell those that are coming behind us of what it's like to walk with Jesus, to what it's like to know the Heavenly Father. I believe that's all of our responsibility. So by God's grace, by God's will, hopefully this morning, there'll be a message for you and our opportunity to invest in this next generation. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. This is your church. These are your people that are here, present, and that are online. That right now, Lord, are seeking you to know you deeper. To hear what you have to say not what Kent has to say. So, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will take control of this moment and this message and open our hearts to hear your words that will draw us to you to help us apply, Lord, what we need to know to bring a new generation into understanding the love of a father. And all of God's people said, in Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 127 reads this way. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. 
Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. This is a psalm, psalm from Solomon, the same author of many of the Proverbs, even many of those that we'll look at this morning. The same author, the same inspired author that wrote the books that we need to study when it comes to this idea of parenting and, and what is our responsibility. And God has this idea that, that we need to be on purpose when it comes to what we do with this next generation. The worst thing we can do is parent by accident or parent as an afterthought or to Look at the next generation like, we know I had to figure it out, so why don't you try to figure it out too? Because when man is left to free will without any guide, he will fall into corruption. Proverbs says that constantly. That foolishness or unwise, and unwi un being unwise means being uninformed, the lack of application of knowledge. If we have nothing, then we will resort to flesh. And we will make choices that are, are unhealthy for us. Deuteronomy also speaks to this in 11, 18 through 21. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as reminders on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, speaking about them when you sit at, at home and when you're walking along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on the gates so that as long as the heavens are above the earth, your days and those of your children may be multiplied in the land the Lord swore to give your fathers. Parenting on purpose means that we're intentional about our instruction. That we lean in to the responsibility that, that these children are a gift given to us. This generation that's behind us is a, a responsibility, but a gift. A reward for living a life well is the children that we receive from God. And he points to us in many Proverbs about the thought and concept of instruction. Proverbs 22, 6, train up the child in the way he would go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Hear, my son, your father's instructions, and forsake not your mother's teachings, for they are graceful garlands for your head and pendants for your neck. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. The Proverbs of Solomon, a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. Listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. And this final one, Becky and I have decided that we think this is the verse, this is the proverb that from now on will be above the doorpost of our house. We feel like this is the right one now. We have this new generation of grandchildren. The eye that mocks the father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. 
Sometimes you just need to make a statement that has an impact. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Fathers, we have a responsibility to build our house in according with the architect's plan. Are you building a house to the glory of God? See, God puts the plan together for how to raise the children, how to run a home. He lays it out in God's word. It's our job to lean into it, to walk through, to deliver the plan. We don't have to create a plan. We don't have to figure this out on our own. His book is a wealth of knowledge and understanding on how to build your home. How to create an intentional, purposeful environment that your family, your wife, your children are raised up in. So there's no vagueness of right or wrong. You know, we live in a culture when that is extremely vague. <laughs> you know, what is right, what is wrong? Well, whatever you want it to be. Whatever you want it to be. You can make it up as you go. You know, as believers in Jesus Christ and believers in the authority of Scripture, we don't believe that to be true. We believe there's an absolute truth. It was fascinating because decades ago, and it's kind of scary to say that, there's a gentleman named Chuck Colson, which some of you might still remember who that name is, who is the director of Prison Fellowship Ministries. They did an extensive research project when it came to education. Because as the education system was starting to drift a little bit, and they had moved away from absolute truth in school, in the high schools in particular, obviously in college had been long gone, and they had removed the Bible and removed scripture from public school system. They started doing research and studying, and they found out something fascinating, and that on average, Christian students were doing better academically not because they were Christian, because of this common thread that in Christian schools, they taught that there was an absolute truth. And what they were learning is the idea of an absolute truth gave children confidence when it came to making decisions. When it came to making a decision on a test answer, that there was a right answer and there was a wrong answer. This idea of absolute truth, all of a sudden they were seeing was giving children confidence in education, in math, in history, in English, in all of the aspects of, of, of education. Simply of the fact that there's an absolute truth. When looking at the public school that was taken away the idea of an absolute truth, students started to flounder. What answer is the right answer? What answer do you want it to be? And they were finding that it was eroding the confidence of the student when it came to simply taking a test. Because I wasn't sure if my answer was right or wrong. I didn't know. Even though the teacher might have instructed there was a right or wrong answer, the feeling there was no right or wrong answers all the time made them insecure in their process. If we build our homes, if we build our house, fathers, if you lead your home, based on an absolute truth of the word of God, you do grace to your family. They gain confidence and understanding. It's why we believe that in this church. It's why our Sunday school class that we just sent our kids running up the hallways to will be learning from an absolute truth. They'll be told stories that we believe to be true, not fairy tales, but truth, that they can 
understand and apply the principles to their life, and they'll live better. They'll be better for it. Are you building a God-fearing home? Do you recognize there is an absolute authority in your home? That's not you. Becky and I did not parent perfectly. I have eyewitness testimony sitting in the front row. We did not do it perfect, but we tried to do it on purpose. We tried to be intentional about what we taught our children. We became intentional about where they came. We brought them to First Baptist Church because we found you, many of you, who've been on this journey with me or I've been on this journey with you for 30 plus years as an advocate for the truth of God. And I could take my Sam and send him into your classroom and know he heard truth today. I knew I could send him to Awana and they would get truth. And it would reinforce what I was teaching at home. I did not, I did not surrender my responsibility to the church to raise my children biblically. You are the reinforcement to the on-purpose education I was giving my kids. That's what the church is for. It's not our job, the church, First Baptist Church's job, to help your children or to make your children Christian. That's, that's not our job. Our job is to reinforce what you're teaching in the home. To be the second voice that reminds them of what they're seeing, experiencing, and living as truth in your home. That means you have to take the responsibility of truth at home. So we can reinforce that message. But let me tell you what happens if you don't. You create hypocrisy. Because if you're not living it at home, when they show up at church, what you brought them to, they look at this and go, well, this doesn't line up with what I'm experiencing at home. And that's a danger. Because now the child is conflicted about what they see at home isn't the same as what they see at church. Now let me remind you, we did not do this on per uh, uh, perfectly. We messed up. <laughs> There's plenty of times when I had to apologize to my son because I spanked him when it was somebody else that should have got the spanking. And for some reason, the fact that I'd say, well, you know, whoever it was looked like you. <laughs> Doesn't always wash with an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old. You know, sometimes you just got to humble yourself and say, I messed up. And I am so sorry. And then there's grace and there's forgiveness. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. We have a responsibility to be watchful over our community that the Lord has placed us in. First Baptist Church can be the brightest light on the hill for the Allegan community. Our intentionality, our purposefulness, our reaching out to believe that there's other people that could benefit from this message, our, our desire to, to cast this onto the internet so others might see and hear and be encouraged in the word of God is all because we believe this is our call. That we're to make disciples that make disciples, it means that we here, present, are pursuing others that aren't present, that someday might be present or at the very least encouraged in their walk with the Lord. How are we leaning into our opportunities to serve in and through the ministries of First Baptist Church? See, we're reinforcing the message. If you don't have children, you are discipling my children, my grandchildren, me, 
your discipling, by your presence, and intentionality of purpose. The kingdom wins with your engagement. The greatest gift I believe you can give past 65 is not retiring. Okay, you can quit working, but don't stop serving. Lean into the richest season of your life. Most of us financially will be secure, at least have enough that we're not worrying about buying diapers anymore. And if at 65 you're worrying about diapers, they're probably a different type. <laughs> it might come to me. I'm not being bad. I'm not mocking. But we have the most flexibility of time. We have the most wisdom that God has given us. What a season of opportunity for us now to lean back into the next generation to exhort and encourage them to walk with Jesus. The experiences that we have. We are making disciples that make disciples, but you have to be making disciples. You have to do it on purpose. You have to lean into your opportunity. It won't happen by accident. It doesn't happen oftentimes even by invitation. We have to step in to the gap where we see the need and those that would benefit from what we know. It is in vain that you rise up early and go to late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to the beloved sleep. It's a warning to us, dads. Beware, O workaholic. Your worth and value is not defined by what you do. This is the bane of man. I cannot tell you, I, can't, I, I try and I try and try. I went to a graduation party yesterday, and I'm like, I'm fighting and I'm fighting and I'm fighting. I see another guy, I walk up to the guy, and I'm like, ask him a question, something, ask him a question. So what do you do? Not that question. Why is that always the first question we ask? Because we're guys. We define ourselves so oftentimes by what we do. It's like, there's a thousand other questions I can ask, but that's my go-to. It's what I'm most comfortable talking about. And so I had to work through my entire life not to find myself by what I do. And I had to worry and be cautious about being a workaholic. I loved to work. I loved it. I had a, an amazing woman at home that made sure that I was present every time I was supposed to be. I wasn't always super happy about it. I wasn't always super cooperative. But eventually I figured it out that being present at home, the greatest ministry that I had were the seven sons that God had put underneath our house. Not under the house, but in the house. Yeah. I wanted them under the house <laughs> at times. It is not what you do at work, it's who you are at work. See, our work is a platform of opportunity for us to be Jesus. It's a platform for us to let them know what is the most important thing of our life. And there's Proverbs is filled with many, many Proverbs about working diligently, hard, pursuing. Nathan just preached a couple of weeks ago about wealth and the, and the balance of what that means to, yes, wealth is a, a blessing of life, but it also can be the curse in balance. So it's not the pursuit of wealth 
that's our, our desire, but it's the reward for working hard in balance. But ultimately, it's our testimony at work that matters the most and who we are. It's not what you do at home, it is for whom you do it. I had to remind myself all the time, I'm working so I can be with them, so I can invest in them. For years and years and years, I thought I was going to be a youth pastor. I mean, I'm going to be a youth pastor. Babe, I think we're going to be a youth pastor. And my wife's great wisdom was like, you are a youth pastor. There's seven of them right over there. Pour into them. Stop chasing after other kids when these are right here in front of you. And it's like, yeah, but they're easier. Because I teach them. They go, wow, that was awesome. And then I send them home to their parents, and they have to deal with it. It's like, these are hard. Like, this is like 24-7. Like, this parenting is like all the time. It's like, when do I get a punch out? And my wife's like, when do you get a punch out? I had two great examples of fathers. My father-in-law, Bob, for now, um, he owned his own business. Emergency alert. My father-in-law was a present father-in-law. He worked to provide so he could invest into his family and loved his family. My dad was a workaholic who worked to provide so that we would never suffer like he suffered when he was younger. Two different perspectives on work, but I learned from both of them and drew from them to how to be the best father I could be for my kids. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with the enemy at the gate. Children are missionaries that we are sending to a time and place that we will never see. You are raising adults, not, decision, not children. When we define adults, we look at it this way. When we say we are raising adults, not children, we mean adults are biblically sound decision makers that, are, that is making a positive contribution to society. I can't make my kids Christian. I can't save them. But what I can do is teach them the language of God's word. I can teach them about an absolute truth. I can prepare them for what God may do in their life. I can't save them. But I can teach them. Equip them. So that if the Lord so desires to draw them into saving grace, they're ready to receive that message. I have my job. God has his. So oftentimes we get into this idea that it's our job to save our kids. We don't save our kids. We teach our kids. We equip our kids. And, and an achievable goal is that I can raise them up to be adults, a biblically sound decision maker that's making a positive contribution to society. Thus far, None of my seven sons have become axe murderers. We're calling that a win. I set a low bar. You know, I was like, okay, we're doing all right so far. But the idea was they were equipped to know. And by God's grace, all seven of them have found saving grace in Jesus Christ. The real miracle is they found, six out of the seven found somebody that believes the same and married them. Because I live with them. And the fact that they found girls that actually would marry them was shocking to me. <laughs> and the grace is they know Jesus Christ too. So we have another generation now that's being raised in the truth 
with open hands knowing we don't save the grandchildren. We teach them the truth and we live the results up to the Lord. You're raising adults, not children. Treat your children the age they are, not the age they are acting. So one of the things that I had to really learn with my kids is that children are the most important population on planet Earth. The fact that 29.6% of the world's population is under 18 years old. 52% of the world's population is under 30. If you're wondering if we should be discipling the next generation, the answer is yes, we should. We should teach them how to take care of old people really, really well. Because that's going to be us someday. Psalm 128 says this, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine with your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around the table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord blesses you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children Peace be upon Israel. Our children's children, our grandchildren. Incredible gift that God has given us. And an incredible responsibility. To lean in and be intentional about grandparenting. To teach, instruct, equip them. To model for them what it's like to live and live for Jesus Christ. We each have an opportunity to invest in the next generation that will carry the gospel forward. Fathers and mothers, grandparents, disciples who make disciples. Each one of us has the joy to know that this generation, we can lean into. We can intentionally equip. We just have to decide, will we? Will we purposefully intentionally identify that this generation needs to know how we know Jesus. They need to know our story about saving grace. They need to see the hope that can still happen at 59 years old in the Lord. At 65 years old. At 70 years old. At 75 years old at 80 years old, at 85 years old, at 90 years old, that still there's hope in the Lord. I had the privilege of seeing both of my parents um, in their final days of their life. My mother had pancreatic cancer and so we set up a schedule, and I would fly down to Texas multiple times. I was blessed to have a flexibility in my job that allowed me to do that. And so I was with her in her last weeks. And I remember going beside her, and she would sit there in bed, completely not ambulatory anymore. And she would just say, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I go, Mom, why are you sorry? I said, you are a great joy to serve. 
She says, well, I just, I'm just so sorry you have to do this. I said, Mom, you're showing us how to finish well in our faith. And she did. She was the sweetest lady all the way to the end. She lived out the testimony of her love of Jesus Christ through her 80th birthday and on to glory. My dad moves up. I never thought he would. For three years, lives with us. And I've shared many stories about my dad. But he would sit there in his room and read his Bible. One of my sons challenged him to do that at 80 years old. Dad, you should read, granddad, you should read read the Bible more. And so he did. Topher, Sarah's um, husband, Sarah's with us today, would call my dad almost every week and talk to him. My son Rob that's in in, um, Germany would call my dad almost every week. As long as dementia was allowed him to be conversational, he would call him every week, talk to him. They had a relationship with my children, my older children especially, that was incredibly special. They showed us how to finish well. As grandparents, we have that opportunity as well. Sorry, it's not the slide I thought it was. Missionaries, we are sending to a time and place we will never see. This is, this is our call. I challenge you today to think about those that you could invest in, those that are in your home, those that will be in your home, or those that are in somebody else's home, that as a father, a mother, a grandparent, or a disciple, or a lover of Jesus Christ that believes there's a a generation that you should be investing into, I pray you lean in. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for all that are present in the hearing of your word. I pray, Father, that the glory that you desire for each of us, we will lean into through our obedience in the application of your word in the investment of others so that, Father, we can see a new generation that will carry your message to a time and place that we will never see. And in Jesus' name, all of God's people said, amen.